Wednesday and welcome back to Tay Learning. My name is Danny, And I'm Olivia and we are your co-hosts. And this week we are getting back to basics because we are going to be breaking down a song which we have not done yet this season. Know, which song are we breaking down? so long. We're going to kick off a little mini series focusing on the folklore love triangle. We're going to start with Betty's point of view in the song Cardigan. We had a few requests to do this because I feel like a lot of people were initially really confused by what Taylor meant when she was talking about a love triangle of these fictional characters. And just for like a dash of backstory, Folklore is perhaps the first album that is not really autobiographical from Taylor because everything was shut down. This is COVID era. We're in 2020 and she needed to explore stories that were not hers in order to come up with content because stories about her would just be like sitting on a couch like all of us were doing. And so she created a love triangle. And that's what we're here to talk about today. And Cardigan was the lead single from Folklore, despite it coming out not really as a lead. It came out the day the album came out. Yeah. (laughs) And it's a really good song too. And I feel like it gets overlooked often because it was the only single that we got from Folklore. So I think the hype died down from this song as people discovered the other masterpieces on Folklore. But we're here to focus in on Cardigan and maybe remind you why we liked it so much off the bat. Important note, it was the only commercial single from Folklore. She did release Exile and Betty as singles, but they did not hit, really. Betty hit yeah. on country radio. Really? Yeah, I and like was country radio stuff. So. Exile like did really well on folk and alternative, but Cardigan was the only like really commercially. Yeah, like the only one. music video. So a little bit of just background on the song and then we're going to break down the lyrics as we always do. Cardigan was written by Taylor Swift and Aaron Dessner together. And we know a few things about it, just backstory that we don't know about many songs. Aaron Dessner himself tweeted a screenshot of text with Taylor where she says, oh my God, I'm already writing over one of them, them being one of the tracks he sent her. This is so exciting. I'm freaking out. And then she sent him (laughs) new recording 813. And that was on April 27th, 2020. So we know that this song existed like three months before it was actually released That's into the so world. Crazy. It's the same energy for me as when Jack Antonoff sent her the recording for Out of the Woods, the backtracking, and she responded, I know what I'm going to do. Are we out of the woods yet? Are we? Like, I don't I love understand when- how her little brain works, you know? Me neither. I love when her producers do that, though. I love when they're like, what do you think of this? And she like returns the most devastating and beautifully written thing you've ever heard. <laughs> I really love <laughs> We'll get into critical reception and stuff at the end, but essentially this song is described as folk, soft rock, and indie rock ballad, and it's a stripped-down arrangement, which was a big change coming off of her most recent single before that, which was The Man from Lover. Because if I was a man, then I'd be the man, I'd be the man. Yeah. So it, it was a big, like, whiplash. Yeah, big change. 180. Nobody expected this from her whatsoever. (laughs) Not at all. And while it did really well, and we'll talk about that later, one of the things that makes this song such a standout in her entire discography is that the lyrics are just so intense and have so many multiple meanings that it's kind of hard to deep dive through. But fortunately, that is what me and Olivia are here to do. Yeah, this is this has been my focus for the past three days. (laughs) <laughs> we're always like oh my god the song breakdowns are gonna be so easy and then we pull up a folkmore song and we're like oh crap. yeah I, I make it through the first verse and I'm like I spent three hours on the first verse excuse me <laughs> I don't understand <laughs> so I have a couple quotes from Taylor kind of talking about the love triangle and we're we're not gonna spoil as much as we can just for the sake of the impact of this love triangle story I'm sure like most of you guys know what the other songs reference and whatever but just for the the dramatics we're not going to spoil as much as possible but I think it is important to know a general synopsis of this love triangle just to kind of at least understand Cardigan and like where Betty's coming from so Taylor Swift once said quote one of my favorite things about this record is that there's this trilogy 
Betty, August, and Cardigan. So she's confirmed this is an intentional love triangle that she has created in her, or it's what Taylor calls her. It's what the fandom calls her. We don't know her actual name, but she's Augustine. And a short synopsis is that Betty and James are high school sweethearts, but James leaves her to have a summer fling with Augustine and Betty's hurt. Short synopsis there. Um, Taylor has also said in the folklore long, long pond studio sections that quote, Cardigan is Betty's perspective from 20 to 30 years later, looking back on this love that was this tumultuous thing. In my head, I think Betty and James ended up together, but he really put her through it. Also during a live Q&A session, Taylor said that the idea behind the song was, quote, the song is about a lost romance and why young love is often fixed so permanently within our memories, why it leaves such an indelible mark. Man, oh man. So it's really unclear how this all ends, but I feel like as we break down the songs, we'll kind of have an idea of yeah. where this love triangle ended up. Yeah. Without further ado, let, let's hop in. Lyric by lyric, we're going to break this down for you in the way that we have interpreted this song. I think there's multiple ways to interpret every Taylor Swift song, especially the folklore ones. So let us know if you have differing thoughts than us, because I just think it's so fun to talk about. She opens the song with vintage tea, brand new phone, high heels on cobblestones. When you are young, they assume you know nothing. There's so much to break down just in that. And I've seen so many arguments online for what vintage tea brand new phone means. And the most common one that I saw was that vintage tea brand new phone is like so teenage coded. Mm -hmm. Like that's you're wearing your band tee in high school and you've got your brand new iPhone, whatever number they're on now. And I've also seen it said that it's somehow and we'll get into this more as lyrics go on but that it's referencing a younger version of taylor like that it's referencing 2012 red era taylor and that aesthetic which i think is a really interesting take but that ties into lyrics that are later in this stanza so we'll get into that yeah. but yeah definitely yeah i i agree with the idea that it's like subtly painting a picture for when exactly this love triangle took place and giving you the idea that this is a teenage setting. So I think that's really interesting way of doing it. The next line, high heels on cobblestones is like, for me, when I think about wearing high heels, I think about feeling confident and really walking confidently, like dressed my best, you know? And when you're walking in high heels on cobblestones specifically, that can be really dangerous because cobblestones are an uneven surface. So no matter how confidently you walk, you're at high risk for stepping on uneven ground and falling and getting hurt. And I think this is a metaphor for Betty's relationship with James. Betty feels really confident in the relationship, but no matter how confident she is, there's a high likelihood that she's going to get hurt in the end. I agree with you. And additionally, when she repeats the line of when you are young, they assume you know nothing. Her walking on these cobblestones metaphorically and even literally because we hear the click clock, mm -hmm. click clock at the beginning of the song. It's showing to people that she's putting herself in danger. Everyone assumes she knows nothing because she's putting herself in danger literally and metaphorically. Yeah. The emphasis of like they assume you know nothing uh, from Betty's point of view, I feel like shows that Betty thinks she she does know the situation. People assume she doesn't, but she feels confident that she does, which is just like an interesting way of like wording it. And High Heels on Cobblestones is also referenced, and we'll talk about this when we talk about Betty next time, but the lyric, I was walking home on broken cobblestones just thinking of you when she pulled up. Direct tie into this song. Like, yeah. it's it's canon. It's canon that obviously these are tied together, but it's really referencing the relationship's unsteadiness entirely. Yeah, definitely. Also, somebody else pointed out online that in the me music video, Taylor is walking on cobblestones in high heels. Like, I love that. <laughs> maybe, maybe that was her being unsure about releasing me as a single. No, I'm just fucking around. But like, <laughs> that's interesting that somebody found that and was like, um, hello. And furthermore, in the line, when you are young, they assume you know nothing. This really drives home the idea that this is like a young relationship. In the context of a breakup song, I feel like adults oftentimes look down on teenage love and like call it puppy love oh it's your first love like you don't know the meaning of love yet but that's cute and it's just really condescending and 
Betty feels really confident that she does know what true love is because of this teenage relationship. And it hits even harder knowing that Taylor imagines this point of view as Betty years later looking back on the relationship and still feeling confident that she knew that it was true love. Mm-hmm. And additionally, referenced in Betty, the lyric, I'm only 17, I don't know anything. Like, Betty's no fool, okay? Betty has an understanding of what's going on. She is very obviously painted as this intelligent young woman who has a really mature grasp of what's going on around her which is often expected, I believe, of young women, while young men in particular get to just push things off on, I'm a guy, I'm young, I don't know what I'm doing. Like, don't take anything I do too seriously. I'm just a young, silly, goofy guy. (laughs) Boys will be boys. So that's the juxtaposition of in Betty of I'm only 17, I don't know anything, versus when they are young, you assume you know nothing. You get that luxury if you're a boy. Yep, exactly. And kind of introducing something that I noticed throughout the entire song that I will mention as it comes is the concept of duality is really introduced in this first little set of lyrics. So like duality is a contrast of two concepts that are often opposites. It is a powerful way, I'm reading a quote, is a powerful way to portray different perspectives or imagery when you are writing poems. And I think it's just really interesting here, like vintage tea versus brand new phone, old versus new. Um, high heels versus cobblestones, something that implies being dressed up and polished versus something that is an uneven, unpolished surface. It's just interesting, like the contrast that Taylor is writing out here. So moving on in the lyrics, we hear sequin smile, black lipstick, sensual politics. When you are young, they assume you know nothing, which completes the stanza. Yes. And to tie into what I was saying earlier about talking about her eras, so the vintage tea, brand new phone, if we're thinking like the red era, we move into like 1989, sequin smile, reputation, black lipstick, Mm -hmm. lover, sensual politics. Now, do I think that this is directly tying to Taylor and her life? Not necessarily. I mean, coincidences happen all the time, and they happen more often with Taylor than I think people want to say that they do, because Easter egging is fun. But it is a really interesting note that it kind of goes through that period of her life with each of those lines. Yeah, and I, I don't think it's out of the question for Taylor to write even fictional experiences that are influenced by her real life experiences like how can you write about something fictional if you don't know it firsthand you know and I think to me this seems like a reference to some of the times in Taylor's life when people that were older than her looked down on her and quote assumed she knew nothing Mm -hmm. Uh, I wrote down a couple examples like during Lover she doesn't know what she's talking about when it comes to politics when she finally like shared her opinion she doesn't know what she's talking about Um, during Reputation she doesn't know what she's doing business-wise having her first all stadium tour during what people considered her flop era when everybody hated her during 1989 she doesn't know anything at all she references that and shake it off I've got nothing in my brain that's what people say so it's just a theme throughout her entire life that I'm sure she's applying to this situation and I can't read these couple lines without thinking about her specifically. I 100% agree with all of that because it is a perfect way of painting how she's a woman. She was growing up as a young woman into the music industry, which has so many misogynistic undertones out the gate, and comparing that to this fictional, non-famous girl, Betty. And it's really interesting to picture Betty as somebody who has an investment in politics to the degree that Betty could for not being a voting age in this fictional story to yeah. having sequins on or wearing black lipsticks to school. Like what could she possibly know? She's a child yeah. and Taylor mm-hmm. feeling really personally emboldened by and tied to fictional Betty. Yeah. There's also dualities mentioned here as well, you know, the sequin smile versus black lipstick, the societal standard of beautiful femininity versus non-societal standards, like wearing black lipstick isn't the social norm and you're not doing it for, you know, the average person to think that you're pretty. Um, Sensual politic, a word that implies the idea of like pleasure versus uh, a concept that is, you know, stressful for people to talk about or think about. 
and the introduction of repetition here. When they are young, they assume you're nothing. She's repeating over and over and over again. And I think it's important for the rest of the song. I also like that the repeated line of when you are young, they assume you know nothing. Almost as she sings it when the song goes along, it's like the repeated line makes me feel like she's getting increasingly more angry and emotional about the fact that nobody's listening to her, including yeah, James. Nobody believes her. She goes on to say, but I knew you dancing in your Levi's drunk under a streetlight. I knew you hand under my sweatshirt, baby kiss it better. I love the transition of when they are young, they assume you know nothing, but I knew you. Like accusatory. I knew you. I knew yeah. you. I thought I, I knew you. Like I knew you. <laughs> like I, I may not know everything else, whatever. They could be right. But I knew you. Mm-hmm. But I thought I did. And especially like this part right here, like she's looking back on like the happy times, like when she felt so confident. It's like snapshots of romantic memories together where she felt confident that their love was real. (laughs) And then, of course, dancing in your Levi's, like Levi's is a jeans brand. I feel like they're worldwide, but in case they're not, Levi's Mm -hmm. is a jeans brand. She loves to mention her jeans. There's a lot of references to jeans in her music. But the drunk under a streetlight is quite literally where we begin to have it a picture painted for you of Mm -hmm. them having this romantic moment together and he references that james does in the song betty with kissing in my car again stopped at a street light drunk under a street light hopefully not while driving the car right (laughs) but she's painting an actual picture a moment where she was really in love with him and that sucks yeah Like when a child is hurt and like, you know, falls and hurts their knee, their parents will come by and like kiss it better and to try and make them like, you know, think that it's better than it is. And so it just kind of, like I said, makes the situation feel a lot more juvenile. And it's interesting that like, this is, you know, something Betty asks of James, kiss it better. Um, He helps to like heal her past traumas you know, make her feel better and more confident going forward in the future, which is we'll dive into later. I think it's a big part of her emotional attachment to him. And again, that juxtaposition, that duality of hand under my sweatshirt, very mature to baby kiss it better to very juvenile. Interesting switch there. So we get into the refrain where the lyrics are, And when I felt like I was an old cardigan under someone's bed, you put me on and said I was your favorite. So what I get out of this line is that when she was left hurt and unwanted by past relationships, possibly romantic and or platonic, James embraced her and made her feel special. So the idea of something being left under the bed paints an image of being forgotten and neglected. I have more evidence later in the song, but I think that Betty has some serious daddy issues. And I think this line is about how she felt unwanted and neglected by her dad. So when James, another man figure in her life, comes along and shows her love, she forms an an anxious attachment to him, which is basically a fear of abandonment. There's some double meanings in this here too, or even triple meanings that I think are super interesting. And he not literally put her on like she's a cardigan, but like he was with her and made her feel special despite her feeling tarnished like an old cardigan. But to put someone on can mean to mislead and lie to them. And it also can mean to publicly embarrass someone. So Mm -hmm. like put them on blast. So it's kind of got a triple meaning there of it was embarrassing for him to cheat on her and leave her. It was hurtful that he lied and misled her. And then also the metaphor of putting her on and making her feel special despite her feeling Mm -hmm not worthy of love, which to me ties directly to all too well, I'm a crumpled up piece of paper lying here. In both situations, the girl, Taylor in one, Betty in the other, is discarded and worthless because of what the man has done. Yep. And I think, especially right here, really shows how many different interpretations of the song there are and of what actually happened in the love triangle did james cheat on her 
did he lie to her and like say like oh you're my favorite but he didn't mean it was he really ingenuous like disingenuous or was it they were in love with each other mutually and he made a dumb choice and left her because it was scary like they're no like Taylor doesn't come right out and say like yeah James cheated on her like nowhere do we see that in any of the songs so it's just you know it's all up to interpretation which is just so interesting I agree I can't wait till we're at the end of our final analysis and we can talk about how we interpret the story yeah I think that'll be a lot of fun in the prologue to the folklore album Taylor says quote it started with imagery visuals that popped into my mind and piqued my curiosity stars drawn around scars a cardigan that still bears the scent of loss 20 years later which is where we get the vibe that this story is being told decades on. But James himself references a literal cardigan in Betty when he says, but I miss you standing in your cardigan. Which is just interesting because like for Betty, it's this figurative meaning. And for him, it's just like so surface level. (laughs) Very literal. Your cardigan, (laughs) you care so much about your cardigan. You won't shut up about it. No, it's not about the cardigan, James. It's not about the fucking cardigan. The song then goes on to say, a friend to all is a friend to none. Chase two girls, lose the one. When you are young, they assume you know nothing. A friend to all is a friend to none is a really famous quote said by Aristotle. And Mm -hmm. it quite literally means that you cannot please everybody. If you try to be everybody's friend, you're no one's friend. Yeah. And ultimately, like, if you're friends with everyone, who are you loyal to when there's a point of contention and a conflict of interest? You can't possibly be loyal and fair to both sides in every situation. This is, like, directly tied to Chase the Two Girls Lose the One. He was interested in both Betty and Augustine for whichever reasons for either one. And as a result, lost Betty and regretted everything. You know, Betty's implying she was the one for him. And he can't give both girls in the situation what they want out of him. I mean, assuming that he is pursuing a monogamous relationship, but obviously that's what Betty wants. And so he has to choose one. He can't make them both happy and he can't get out of the situation without hurting one or the other or both. Mm -hmm. And interestingly enough, Taylor herself has referenced this concept in her real life as pointed out online in her 2014 interview with Rolling Stone when talking about her shift to pop music with 1989. She said, quote, if you chase two rabbits, you lose them both. Amazing. In that case, of course, talking about (laughs) country and pop, like when she tried to do the crossover with Red and then not getting the love that at the time she felt it deserved, but literally with relationships. Also, it can be interpreted that the line of chase two girls, lose the one. The one is the title of the first track on Folklore. But it would have been fun if you would have been the one. Which has its own themes of it would have been fun if you would have been the one yeah that's interesting so we go into the chorus again and she repeats the but i knew you so we already know how she feels about that and then we get into another almost juvenile line that has a double meaning that's adult the playing hide and seek and giving me your weekends hide and seek is pretty juvenile but hide and seek is also like two-timing yeah, for me, when I interpreted hide and seek, the playing hide and seek, it for me just really, really instilled the idea that this is a young relationship and giving me your weekends also backs that up and implies that they had school during the week and could only hang out on the weekends because, you know, in adult relationships, you can hang out on more than just the weekends, you know, especially when we get into like the idea of like Augustine later, like that was his summer romance. Betty is his school time romance, you know. Repetition of I knew you, it's almost like she had to convince herself or reassure herself at this point that even though James hurt her, it was still true love. The repetition is not just for the people that assume she knows nothing, it's also for herself. Also, when she's saying that giving me your weekends, she wants his dreary Mondays. She wants everything. It's not just the fun of the weekends, it's everything she wants. As we go into this next set of lyrics here, we hear the I knew you again repeated and then your heartbeat on the high line whence in 20 lifetimes I and what I hear I don't know why I said the I like that but what I hear with your heartbeat on the high line so for those who don't know the high line is a public park in New York City which was once train tracks 
it's now a park that's like a mile and a half long. It's a public park. It's gorgeous. And I'm wondering, does the relationship take place in New York? Are they talking about a vacation that they went on that was romantic and getaway, which is a little bit dramatic for high school? I don't know. But this obviously isn't the first time that Taylor has alluded to New York City. She has a very colored past with New York City. And maybe it just rhymed really well. I don't know. Yeah, I guess I imagine this is a spot where they had like some sort of romantic moment especially referencing your heartbeat on the high line like if they were like newer you know your heart is racing as you're experiencing new love I'm kind of unclear on this lyric I'm not gonna lie I think it also has the potential to be a double meaning a play on words because like yes she could be directly referencing the place the moment in time at the high line but also what if she's talking about the rush of like being on a high line like a tightrope and the feeling that like a relationship is going to destroy you. It knows you so well and it's so embedded in you that it has potential to destroy you. Now, that's probably me reaching, but she loves putting in double meanings, particularly in her folklore songs, so this is totally yeah. possible. And the once in 20 lifetimes meaning, this to me reads as you only get a love like this once in every 20 lifetimes. Yeah, it's so rare that it's not once in a lifetime. It's once in 20 like she'll never experience something like this ever again is what she feels like. So it has the potential to be so pressure filled that it's on a high line. It's on a tightrope. That's how I'm choosing to interpret it because it's yeah. not really a direct reference to anything else in the song. Like it feels like a standalone lyric in a lot of ways. It could just have rhymed really well, though, because that's totally a possibility. It does flow really well. I'll give it that. <laughs> yeah, Heartbeat on the High Line has a alliteration there. It's really pretty. Yeah. Moving on, she repeats again. And when I felt like I was an old cardigan under someone's bed, you put me on and said I was your favorite. And then we kick off to new lyrics. To kiss in cars and downtown bars was all we needed. You drew stars around my scars, but now I'm bleeding. <sighs> There's so a lot to unpack. I'm going to call back real quick, though, the line in Betty of kissing in my car again, stop at a streetlight to kiss in cars. They were just always making out in cars, I guess. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And especially to like to kiss in cars and downtown bars was all we needed. That's like so simple. Like it's nothing extravagant and nothing crazy. And Betty didn't feel like she needed anything extravagant to know how much they loved each other and to feel confident in the relationship. I think that it's a really excellent example of some of Taylor Swift's best lyricism is the most simple lyrics. Like I think about getaway car, the ties were black, the lies were white. What a simple lyric that just tells so much. And this is another example to kiss in cars and downtown bars. Also pause bars. Yeah. Right. That's what I'm saying. (laughs) They're supposed to be 17. What are they doing? Fake IDs. (sighs) <sighs> maybe you deserved this your karma for having fake ideas no I'm kidding I don't give a shit or maybe <laughs> you know maybe this is a stretch I don't know if I 100% believe it but then my brain to try to try to make this lyric work so this is Betty looking back on it 20 to 30 years later what if they had like an on again off again relationship for several years that is a take yeah. and a hot one and totally possible i guess i hadn't thought about that all the time like oh, like this really big point of contention with augustine happens when they're teenagers but once in 20 lifetimes i just feel like it makes sense for her to feel so extremely over a relationship that wasn't over when she was 17 i like that take actually yeah if we're assuming that they ended up together but well again once we're done with analyzing all three songs we'll talk about what we think happened in the relationship and where it's at now but that would make a lot of sense yeah the you drew stars around my scars and now i'm bleeding is a well beloved taylor swift lyric my favorites And there's a lot to unpack there as far as what that could mean. And I think that it has the metaphor potential. And what I think it really does mean personally is that the stuff about her that she is almost ashamed of that has broken her, he loves that. He loves those parts of her. He puts her up on a pedestal no matter how broken she is. And isn't that exactly what people want from their person is to love them in spite of their flaws? Right. I interpreted it a very similar way, but with like a slightly different spin. So 
I think that it's about him embracing her past heartaches and him offering her comfort to help her heal from those situations. And he made a point to leave beautiful marks around all of her ones that represented pain so that when she looked back on the ones that represented pain, she did see his beautiful, loving marks of stars around her scars. I I like that. And I think that that has potential to be a really direct reference because in the song Lover, she has the lyric guitar string scars on my hand as like a metaphor for past relationships. So maybe that's directly tying into that. And then followed by, but now I'm bleeding. Like, despite him delicately leaving these beautiful marks on her to help her embrace her past scars, he just did what everyone else did and left a gaping wound that will eventually scar itself. (laughs) Uh, So devastating. (laughs) Genuinely so sad. Like, he took so much intentional care of her, but then was reckless and hurt her. So we go into another chorus because I knew you stepping on the last train mark me like a blood stain. Ah, uh, she loves trains. We've talked about her love of trains in the past, but mm-hmm. the most direct reference for stepping on a train and leaving in terms of like almost a relationship is from the archer. Easy they come, easy they go. I jump from the train. I ride off alone. Easy they come. And we see it again in several songs. I think most songs that reference a train, the train is a metaphor for a relationship, like a romantic relationship. Sad, beautiful, tragic. The train runs off its tracks. Kiss me, try to fix it. The relationship is over. Silence, train runs off its tracks. Kiss me. In New Romantics, we wait for trains that just aren't coming. We're all so tired of everything. We wait for trains that just aren't coming. I interpret New Romantics as a song that's about embracing your, like, single 20s life. Like, they're waiting for romantic relationships that just aren't coming, so you might as well embrace the moment now. Willow, you know that my train could take you home. It's an offering. Like, you know that, you know, you would feel at home with me in a relationship with me. You know that my train could take you home. It's just interesting the different ways she uses trains. Even the last Great American Dynasty with Rebecca rode up on the afternoon train. It was sunny. Like that could mean literally she's leaving St. Louis for Rhode Island, but also she's stepping into this new relationship. For her mans. For her mans. Um... (laughs) Rebecca rode up on the afternoon train. It was sunny. (laughs) But stepping on the last train... He's leaving. He left her for August, or he cheated on her with August. Again, we'll we'll dig that up later. But how devastating to use that as a metaphor for leaving the relationship. Uh, And especially, like, the last train implies that she has no way of being able to follow after him. Or she doesn't feel like she has a way of following after him to chase him down and get him back. Because he got the ticket to the last train. There's no more after that. And of course, the marked me like a bloodstain. We just talked about how she's bleeding. So a bloodstain feels so final, so permanent. It's yeah. that devastating. Like he made her bleed and she's the blood that she's bleeding because of what he did to her is stuck there. It's a stain. Yeah. This is another example of duality between drawing stars versus bloodstain. Like both are marks that he left on her. And one is romantic and cute and the other one is traumatic and painful. So opening that chorus, though, something interesting is she says, because I knew you, like she's coming right off of that bridge piece right now. You do stars around my scars, but now I'm bleeding because I knew you. Like she's specifically saying that she is bleeding because she swore that she knew him and she was wrong. It could also be because I knew you, like I knew this would happen. I knew this was coming. I knew getting involved with you, I was going to get hurt. There are just so many interpret it. I don't think there's any wrong interpretation. It's just because, like, I didn't even think of what you just mentioned, Danny. So, like, it's crazy. (laughs) So when we move on to the I knew you tried to change the ending, Peter losing Wendy. Obviously, 
if we're thinking about your interpretation that we just had about she knew him, she knew that this was possible because he set her up for heartbreak and she could feel that coming. He tried to change the ending by trying to make it okay, trying whatever he did, trying to make it better. But Peter loses Wendy. Wendy goes on and grows up and Peter never grows up. Obviously, we're going to deep dive the song Betty later, like in more detail. But it also mirrors the idea of when they are young, they assume you know nothing, but I knew blah, 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 which is the entire premise of this song with Betty. Betty is mature for her age. And then in juxtaposition, James is, I'm only 17. I don't know anything, which implies his immaturity. So like comparing him to Peter, never grow, like Peter Pan, never growing up versus Wendy who does grow up. She's like outgrowing him in maturity. Yeah. I also like, the way that this parallels with Exile, I think I've seen this film before and I didn't like the ending. I think I've seen this film before and I didn't like the ending. I'm not sure. It's like she oh, knows yeah. that this is coming. She, yeah. Exile, of course, not being part of the trio of songs in the folklore love triangle, but it's that idea of understanding that it's almost like Betty knew she knew she, she knew, knew the deep story down. of Peter Pan and Wendy mm-hmm. and then in one of the probably most gutting lyrics of yeah. maybe all of folklore depending on your life and your story I knew you leaving like a father running like water <laughs> are you kidding oh uh, and her directly comparing James leaving her to the impact of her father leaving her shows how much she was impacted by James. Like he wasn't just a high school boyfriend. He was life altering on the level of her father leaving. And the idea of like a parental figure exiting your life, like it's assumed that your parent figure is always going to be there no matter what because they are family they are your parents and that wasn't the case for betty and her dad and to her to feel so strongly for james that he's always going to be an integral part of her life is just a lot it's a really heavy lyric i wish that i had them in front of me but the lyrics that she had potential to add to the song that were trending on tiktok a few months ago i like them quite a bit but I couldn't imagine leaving out this particular stanza but the leaving like a father running like water even if from James's perspective again we'll talk about this when we talk about Betty but from mm-hmm. James's perspective it feels very much like a I didn't even know that I was gonna do this I'm so sorry and from her perspective she's like no you left you ran like water this is what you wanted and you know she's projecting almost like her insecurities and her past onto him when I don't get that vibe. I don't think that he is the father that left. I think he's just a dumbass kid and her intelligence and her maturity is so beyond her years that she can't understand how somebody could just be not mature enough to understand what they're doing. Yeah. And the running like waterline too, I feel like it makes it feel like that this is what Betty expects from men at this point, because water will always run if given the opportunity. It will never just like sit in your hands. It'll run out. It'll run down a hill. Like there's no stopping water from running. She wraps that line up with, and when you are young, they assume you know nothing. Before we get into verse three, we're going to take a quick break to talk about Spotify for podcasters, which does sponsor this podcast. And then we'll get back to verse three and wrap this song up. She continues on with, but I knew you'd linger like a tattoo kiss. I knew you'd haunt all of my what ifs. The smell of smoke would hang around this long because I knew everything when I was young. I like that this directly parallels. She loves these things that she like holds through her music. But in Last Kiss from Speak Now, your name forever, the name on my lips, just like our last kiss. It's a tattooed yeah. kiss. And then in dress from reputation, you made a mark on me, a golden tattoo parallels like the marks that he made on her marked me like a blood stain. parallels the tattoo kiss like. Made your mark on me, a golden tattoo. 
I just love these like metaphorical themes that Taylor relates to romantic relationships. Me too. And when we go into the, I knew you'd haunt all of my what ifs, that line is so underrated because I don't think that anything hurts more when you're looking back on your life than the what ifs. What if I had, what if I hadn't? And so for her, it depends on which perspective you're looking at it from. But if we're looking at Betty 20, 30 years later, she got back together with him because she knew that if she didn't, it would haunt all of her what ifs. Every yeah. decision that she, she made. had to write be... it out until it crashed and burned and died. Mm-hmm. What if I'd stayed with James anyway? It would haunt her forever. Yep. It's so devastating. This is why I support my friends when, even if they're like in a relationship that's not great for them, I support them burning down all their what ifs. Because if you need to know, you need to know. I love that line. You've got to burn through those what ifs. Yeah. I mean, of course, there are, there are boundaries. Yes. If, yeah. if you're in physical danger, I will not support you burning your what ifs, but <laughs> I will allow you the space to get emotionally hurt because I love you and you need to know that for the long term that, that it wasn't going to work. <laughs> Got to burn that what if. And then the smell of smoke would hang around this long. Ugh, I love this like imagery metaphor that it creates in my brain so I imagine the smoke to represent the lingering aftermath of the relationship especially since in the past Taylor has described passionate love as burning red so if the relationship is on fire it's burning from passion and love what happens when the relationship's over and the fire is out there's smoke the smoke hanging around represents Betty not being able to move on or forget. And she knew that moving on would be difficult and take an extremely long time, longer than like smoke would normally hang out after a fire. That directly ties into the haunting all of what ifs line, like the smoke would hang around forever indefinitely Mm -hmm. if she had not burned through those what ifs, which Mm -hmm. in this take on the story, it sounds like she followed one of those what ifs all the way into being with James for a long time. But if she hadn't, if if they'd all just like burned up without her getting to explore them, it's a literal smell of smoke. Well, yeah. metaphorical, but literal in the sense of burning. But yeah. Yes. And then because I knew everything when I was young really drives home that this is an older Betty looking back. At the time, she knew that she was right and knowing things <laughs> and knowing herself and knowing her love for James, at least her own emotions. She can confirm as an adult human that her feelings at the time were valid. The next line we'd move into is, I knew I'd curse you for the longest time chasing shadows in the grocery line. Chasing shadows is a British phrase, and it's used to describe someone that is looking for something that just doesn't exist. So I think, first of all, that Joe Alwyn might have planted that phrase somewhere in her (laughs) brain. but Or any of her several British men. (laughs) Or, yeah, I guess literally any of them. But this ties into a line from The One. I thought I saw you at the bus stop. I didn't, though. I thought I saw you at the bus stop. I didn't, though. Yeah, she's looking for him everywhere. She's looking for him in everything. I mean, I've definitely been there in breakups where I just relate everything back to them. Even things that didn't naturally relate, I find ways to make everything relate. Everything that I looked at made me think of them. And since it says the, I knew I'd curse you for the longest time, I almost read that as, if I didn't get back together with you, I knew I'd be pissed at you forever. I knew I'd chase shadows of you everywhere. I knew that I would constantly be chasing the high of being with you again, and I wouldn't be able to be with you. And so here we are. Something that is really interesting that I thought of with the chasing shadows line. So you can never truly catch a shadow, you know, unless you're Peter Pan and Wendy. Because in the Disney adaptation, Wendy helps Peter to catch his shadow, and they successfully do it. Interesting. Yeah, that's such a cool tie. (laughs) Good catch. Thanks. Also going off of this line, the idea of actively doing something while waiting in a grocery line, so actively chasing shadows, but like you're you're standing still, um, I think represents that she foresees herself going through these mundane motions of life while her mind would be racing all the time thinking about James. So no matter what she's doing, even if she is stagnant, she's can never like actually relax. So the next line say, I knew you'd miss me once the thrill expired and you'd be standing in my front porch light 
and I knew you'd come back to me. You'd come back to me. You'd come back to me. You'd come back. Immediately, my thought is I knew you'd miss me once the thrill expired, is her being keenly aware of the tendency of people to cheat or to do these flings or whatever because they're fun and they're sexy and they're passionate, but not because they actually like the person. And Betty knows this. She's, like we've said, mature beyond her years. So she's aware. She's aware that he'll sow his wild oats and then come back Mm -hmm. to his comfort place, which is Betty. This part kind of made me think about all too well. When Taylor sings, back before you lost the one real thing you've ever known. It was rare. I was there. I remember it. Lost the one real thing you've ever known. It was rare. I was there. I remember it all too. And the you'd be standing in my front porch light is a parallel to the lyric from Betty. Betty, I'm here on your doorstep. And I planned it out for weeks now. So this seems very literal. <laughs> Yeah, this is when James came back to Betty after his summer with Augustine and was, like, begging for forgiveness. I imagine and, a teenage boy with, like, flowers yeah. being like, please, let me in! <laughs> and metaphorically, too, I feel like the front porch light feels like a beacon of hope for Betty. Like, this is the the point in the song where she's turned to soft on him again. So it began as, like, soft reminiscing and then progressed into, like, anger frustration hurt and now this is the point where it's turning back to softness for James like she's gonna forgive him and especially with the repetition of I knew you'd come back to me I knew you'd come back I feel like it kind of is like her self-soothing a little bit I saw this point from Mooneybug on TikTok that it almost feels like the outro of all too well 10 minutes where it's the repetition of I was there I was there I was there to kind of like help confirm and remind yourself that even though you went through all of this with that person, you knew it was real true love. Because of course he would come back. It's true love. I feel like there's this narrative. If somebody cheats, they don't love you. If somebody sows wild oats, they're not the person for you. And generally speaking, I feel like there's not a the one for anyone. Yeah. I also feel like in this metaphorical story, they're children. They're like 17 years old. He literally doesn't know. Anything. He doesn't know. Like, He's... And that's valid and fair for a 17-year-old. Yeah. Like, Betty is mature beyond her years, and that's great for her. But I don't blame James either. He's literally exploring life and doesn't know what he wants out of life. And that mm-hmm. is fair. The only thing that I will give James shit about in this love triangle, which I cannot wait to unpack the line that I'm about to say, but I'm going to leave it at this. He does August wrong, and that is where James can fuck off. But regarding Betty, Betty is aware that he's sowing his wild oats, her taking him back in the story. People online love to say that this theoretical Betty is an idiot, not that smart. She took this guy back. No, it is because she is so emotionally mature that she is okay accepting that he was sowing wild oats. Yep. I got back with somebody who cheated on me before, and I don't think that was a stupid decision. (laughs) <laughs> Matt didn't Matt has never cheated on me to the best of my knowledge but we got back together after breaking up and that was a controversial decision but not every relationship looks cookie cutter storybook and normal and no. it's okay and love is really complex too like you can love somebody and them not be the right person for you and you can love somebody and like actively do things that hurt them but like that doesn't mean you don't love them it just means you don't know how to balance all your impulses and other emotions that are combined with love too. giving grace to James. Like, like I said before, it's so valid that he's 17 and doesn't know what he wants out of life. It's valid that he's 17 and experienced this once in 20 lifetimes type of love with Betty. And it scared the shit out of him that he found that at 17, because you know, the idea is like, you're supposed to date around before, you know, for sure. Like, my mm-hmm. high school boyfriend and my college boyfriend both broke up with me and got back together with me several times because they loved me and it scared them because they were too young for that type of love, emotion, like, relationship because that meant at 17, I found the girl I'm going to be with for the rest of my life. Holy shit, that's terrifying. And that is, for real, a scary thing. I had a guy break up with me a few years ago using the same narrative of this isn't what should be happening at my age, and it's freaking Mm -hmm. me the fuck out, and kind of several months later gave me this narrative of what if we got back together later? And I was like, no, what if we didn't do that? 
Yeah. Because I had already sown my wild oats. I was pretty much ready. And I was like, I'm not going to wait while you figure it out. Just mm-hmm. because Betty in this story is cool with taking him back after letting him sow those wild oats doesn't make her an idiot doesn't make her a bad person and when she wraps it up with and when I felt like I was an old cardigan under someone's bed you put me on and said I was your favorite I don't hear that last line as a play on words I hear it as she's like you said that I was your favorite you said that even after sowing a wild oat I'm the one you want to be with and I'm cool with it exactly so maybe we have an unpopular opinion here defending James so adamantly (laughs) Yeah, and I mean, we'll we'll definitely get into it the more we talk about Betty and when we get into August. Like, I've got words, okay? I have he's words. He's a dumb boy, but this isn't where he's a dumb boy necessarily. He's still a dumb boy, but, like, he didn't have malicious intent with Betty. And this is think. not a go-ahead, a green light for people to cheat. Let's be super clear. Cheating yeah, is still an fucked ab- up. It's still wrong. Objectively uncool thing to do. But it's way more complicated than black and white. Bingo. <laughs> that is where this lands, is that everything, especially love, comes in shades of gray. And it yeah. is not our place, nor anybody's place, to judge this entirely hypothetical relationship that has happened literally to many people. Beautiful. So let's talk about what critics thought of this song, because I know that we love this song. It's not one of my favorites on Folklore, even though I think that lyrically it's a standout. I just I like don't... it a lot more after analyzing it, which is a common theme for me. Same. Literally same. It's just, it's in an E-flat major, and so it's not, it's not in the most like sonically pleasing key for me for some reason and I think that's intentional. It feels a little uncomfortable, yeah. but not uncomfortable enough to be in a minor key. It's like a little dark. Yeah. That being said, critics loved it. Critics said that it was, quote, an effective way to evoke young love and innocence lost. The song's overlapping details and central framing device of a cardigan forgotten and found without a second thought are pure Taylor Swift. The song being described as cavernous and shimmering as a rock pool in a cave and calling cardigan (laughs) adorable and yet again hurtful. Which is really (laughs) what it all boils down to. It ended up on top 10 list, top 100 list at the end of year for best songs. And mostly people were absolutely praising Taylor for her evolved songwriting is what they said. Which, by the way, I don't love when critics say that kind of stuff because a song doesn't always had this level of like craftsmanship. It's just you didn't listen to anything past Shake It Off. Exactly. Like. Her lyricism has always been top-notch. Her song shouldn't have to be, like, moody and dark for you to listen. Yeah, for real. <laughs> In any event, it shot her up to, like, the point where critics were like, okay, so she does have good lyrics. Maybe we should backtrack we and listen to her. take her seriously shit. as an adult artist. <laughs> yeah, whatever. Um, it's a beautifully done song that, obviously, critics saw how beautifully done it was. It won favorite music video at the AMAs in 2020 at the RTHK International Pop Poll Awards. It won two awards there. And Nashville Songwriters Association gave it an award for songs I wish I'd written is (laughs) what the award was. And then the BMI Awards gave it the best performed song of the year. It was nominated for a ton, though, including Song of the Year at the Grammys and Best Pop Solo Performance. So interesting. Because, like, the literal definition of pop is just popular music. But, like, this is so not pop. (laughs) No, it's, like, folk rock, kind of. It's Taylor Swift. It's Taylor Swift. Again, like, if if Hosier (laughs) could record that song and release it, it's not pop. That's not a pop song. That's folk rock. Mm-hmm. That's what that is. It's so good, though. <laughs> it's so good, though. I feel like yeah. these songs give you an idea. The way that they sound give you an idea almost of what the characters look like and what they act yeah. like. Or like, like what I... this moment in time felt like for them. Yeah. And we'll definitely hit that when we hit August because I have some things to say. <laughs> oh, yeah. I definitely see Betty as a little bit more serious and moody and studious. Literal high heels on cobblestones. That mm. is Betty. That's how I see Betty, and that's what this song sounds like. Yeah. And then this is kind of like a a minimal thing, but the song Cardigan did inspire the whole Taylor Swift cardigans. So if you weren't able to get your hands on them, she did make cardigan merch items that were the exact replica of what she wore in the music video. She made 
two different holiday ones, a red one and a green one. She made a cardigan for Red Taylor's version because just everyone loved these cardigans so much. And it's inspired fans to then DIY cardigans for every single era. And it's just so cute. Really, really creative thing that came from this. And I love it. What'd you Taylor learn this week? I Tay learned that cardigan was Betty's perspective in Taylor's mind some 20 to 30 years in the future. I always imagined it as like her teenage point of view. I didn't know, and we haven't mentioned this yet, but I'll mention it now. Uh, while this is Taylor's sixth number one in her career, which we know this, it is the second number one debut that she's had in her career. Shake It Off debuted at number one and Cardigan debuted at number one. And at that time, those were the only two songs that she's released that debuted at the number one spot. Interesting. I don't yeah. know that either. Yeah. Everyone was looking for some art to turn to in the pandemic and folklore just had it by the throat. Yeah, she nailed it. And I imagine that she was so nervous putting out folklore because it was like nothing she's ever done before. And I bet you she was prepared for it not to do well, but was just enjoying the process of making it. When we talk about Taylor Swift, which is every minute on this podcast, because that's the point, we think about, but don't ever directly say that Taylor Swift is the definition of luck in the forms of it's when preparation meets opportunity. She's Mm -hmm. constantly prepared for the next thing. And the opportunity just keeps presenting itself. She entered the country music scene prepared and talented in 2005, 2006 in a wide appeal. And in 2005, 2006, country was the thing. We were in the post 9-11 country music was everywhere type thing. And she was exactly what people were looking to. Kelly Pickler, Carrie Underwood style, Mm -hmm. blonde, young, pretty country music. And then she had the right place, right time with the 80s synth pop coming back in the mid 2010s she she was prepared for that and she was prepared when folklore came out because it's what the people needed she is preparation meets opportunity she's gotten lucky but only because she's so goddamn talented and prepared for any opportunity to come up at any time yeah and she's such a like an endearing human to be a fan of too so like her fan base I think is really something special and will support her no matter what she does, which is kind of crazy. It is kind of crazy. But as we said before, not in like a we kiss her ass and everything she does is law type way. In a she is a human that is capable of flaws and is aware that she is capable of flaws and desires to consistently grow, outdo herself and become a better artist and a better Taylor Swift on a personal level. And that matters. Yes. What are we talking about next week? Because it's not going to be Betty, because we are waiting, making you salivate for it. But we are going to give you something we know you want. We have the next episode of the Muses series. This one is going to focus on Connor Kennedy, that brief relationship that was very public with the Kennedy boy. I don't really know anything about that one. I know a little bit. I don't know a ton because while it was public, it was brief and it also didn't feel like there was any real actual feelings there, but I could be wrong and I'm really excited to unpack it. Yeah. I'm just interested to unearth things that I haven't known about Taylor before. Yes. As always, you can always send us an email, taylearningpodcast at gmail.com. And where can they find us on TikTok and Instagram? At Podcast, Come hang out with us there. We are trying to post as much as possible. Sometimes we get lazy, but we are always lurking. So you can always message us, like interact with us on there. We love to see you guys there. And we love the DMs too, telling us what you think and what your favorites are, what you want to see from us in the future. Reminder that this series about doing the folklore love triangle was a fan request it was several people messaging us and asking us to break this down so we do listen so keep telling us what you want yes we love it oh and a reminder we'll keep reminding you as we get closer to the state we are going to be at the sunday show in nashville so if you see us there say hi olivia's working to make y'all some bracelets yes i know in the past we said we're going to go to the saturday one I don't know why we thought it was a Saturday one, but it is the Sunday one for sure. We checked. (laughs) We did. We checked. Well, for this week, my name is Danny. And I'm Olivia. See you next time. You drew stars around my scars, but now I'm bleeding.
write a little note real quick. Oh, she's back. Hello. Um, we're going to have a big Bye, Kaz. Love you. Bye, Kaz. Love you. Matt said it, too.